All right, so we're closing out um, the series in Secretly Incredible, and we've already seen some really amazing examples of Secretly Incredible people. Uh, today, we're going to dive into a very suspenseful, dramatic, epic story. How many of you guys are story fans? You like a good story? Yeah, that's how I am. I love a good story, okay? I get Candace to read me a bedtime story every night before bed. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I, I love a good story, a good narrative in a good movie or a good book. Um, I love being drawn in by the characters and the plot and just turns of events and um, all the awesome things we see in those stories. Um, we're going to be looking at that this morning, so I pray that you would bear with me because we are going to go through a lot of Scripture Okay, which is okay because we believe that is the inspired, breathed out word of God. And it's way better than anything I could fill this time with. Okay, so we're going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning and looking at a very intense story. Okay, we're going to see a passage where somebody did something secretly incredible to change the course of history. How God, or someone does something unthinkable, something that was counterintuitive to them, something bold to act where God was calling them to action. We're going to see a secretly incredible woman of the Bible who did something radical and bold this morning. This person's name is Abigail. Abigail. Abigail has yet to be mentioned until this passage in the Bible. And if you were to list all the major events and the major characters throughout Old Testament history, she probably wouldn't surface to the top. She might be one that's kind of forgotten about, kind of squeezed in here and there, but we're going to see that she fits into David's story. The thing I'd like for us to look, look at, we're going to see a lot of Abigail and a lot of awesome characteristics that she possessed, but most importantly, I'd like for us to look at Abigail as an encourager. As an encourager. See, encouragement is super important, probably far more important than you even realize. John Maxwell said this about encouragement. He says, a word of encouragement from a teacher to a child can change a life. A word of encouragement from a spouse can save a marriage. A word of encouragement from a leader can inspire a person to reach their potential. So what we see is a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. Okay, your words are important in how they impact other people. So our story this morning is going to be found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you want to go ahead and turn there or pull it up on your phone, uh, it's going to be covering the, uh, um, some of the events in the story of David's life, a Bible character who's not really secretly incredible. I'm sure everyone in here has heard of David before. We know David for his heroics. We know that he's labeled a man after God's own heart. Um, we know a lot of his stories. We know he took down Goliath with just a sling and a stone. But if you look at his life, you know that David had some issues too. Okay, the, the Psalms that we look at are riddled with David's emotions and his up and down roller coaster ride with Jesus of God, I love you, but I feel like you've forgotten about me. And David had some serious issues in his life. And we're gonna see today one of David's lowest moments when he needed encouragement more than anything so let's zoom in on this season of David's life. He's in a very unique and stressful spot. He's basically gone rogue and is a fugitive on the run with his men, running from King Saul. He knows that he has been chosen by God to be the next king of Israel, 
but he doesn't even fit in with Israel at this point. Okay, he's on the run from Saul. He's trying to stay clear away from the Philistines. He's in this weird place where he's on the run. You know, he's finding a place to camp here and there and here and there. On the run from this person, trying to avoid this person. He's in a very fragile state. Okay, his emotions are running high. Things are not going well for David at this point. So right now, David's on the run. And he's found a place for he and his army to post up for a little while. They find themselves on some land owned by a man named Nabal. Okay, so let's dive into this story, and we're going to see what happens. Starting in verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. What a very happy way to start the chapter, right? <laughs> Samuel died. If this was a movie, this was the first shot of the movie would be zoomed in on Samuel's gravestone. And you, you know, pan out a little bit, and there's an entire nation of Israel mourning over this person. It's a happy way to start the story, right? No. All right, so then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Moan, who had property there in Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and a beautiful woman, but her husband, Nabal, he was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. So our author goes ahead and gives us this excellent contrast of these two different characters, Abigail and Nabal. Abigail is beautiful, intelligent, smart, lights up a room when she walks in. Nabal is a mean, big, harsh man. As this story progresses, are you curious which one we're going to like more? I'm going to give you a hint. It's Abigail. <laughs> Nabal does not sound like a very pleasant guy. Picking back up in verse 4, it says, While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants, Nabal, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. So David and his men had been respectfully living in Nabal's land for some time now. And David was, uh, David was relaying a message to Nabal that they had treated Nabal's servants well. Okay, nothing had gone missing while they were kind of coexisting in this land. They were treating uh, each other with respect. There was this nice relationship. And David even implies that a lot of Nabal's success uh, with his land could be credited to the protection and the help that they offered. So David did exactly what most of us would do. Try to get a free meal out of it, right? It's like, hey, it's a festive time. I've been <laughs> treating you guys right. You know, we've been getting along. So, you know, if you have a, a little bit of food left over, you know, you can be generous to us. We've been generous to you, right? I did this all the time when I was living at uh, Mike and Sam Koreski's house, okay? At least once a week, I'd remind them, hey, I've been watching over all your things. I haven't burned your house down. 
Uh, I haven't destroyed any of your things, except Mike's record player once, but he fixed it. So, uh, But hey, I've been living here, everything's been fine here, so I deserve some special treatment, right? I deserve some special treatment. I want a meal out of this. I want to gain something out of this. That's what David's mindset is here. So let's turn to Nabal and see what he says. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed back with supplies. Okay, that escalated quickly, right? This story is intense. We're seeing, you know, this, we're building up to a climax here, okay? (laughs) David's men come back. They they say, hey, uh, things didn't go so well with that message we relayed. Uh, You know, he kind of insulted us, insulted you. And David's like, put your swords on, let's go. We got business to take care of. Nabal clearly doesn't care that David has helped him out. And he relays that there's David's servants. And David is fired up. He instructs his men to grab their swords while he did the same because David was not going to take no for an answer. Think about David right now. He's a fugitive on the run. He has no home. He's confused about where he belongs and where he fits in. Now this disrespect from Nabal... This pure rejection from this man he had been helping? What is that all about? So now David snaps. So Nabal doesn't know it, but he is cruising for a bruising. And David is the cruise director. And his name is Captain Bruising. Okay, Nabal is about to get it. So hold on to your seats. Things are about to get interesting here. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men, they were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. You too, Abigail. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Verse 18 says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisin, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on a donkey. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not Tell her husband, Nabal. So smart, beautiful, intelligent, light up a room Abigail gets word about what happened, that Nabal had sent back David's servants and things were not going to go well for them, right? Hurricane David is on its way and she is just hearing about this. David snapped, things were about to get ugly and this servant just relayed the message to Abigail. See, David was caught up in some very real, raw emotion. 
Like we said, he was a fugitive. He was feeling rejected and confused, and he was coming to pack some heat. So Nabal's servant assured Abigail that David and his men, they'd helped him. Uh, They tended to the land. They served as protection for Nabal's people. And even describes David's people as a wall that stood around them and secured them. So Abigail acted quickly. She packed up an entire Thanksgiving dinner onto some donkeys and left with no hesitation to meet an army coming her way. She didn't stop to discuss with somebody who was right or wrong, what should have been done, ethically who you know, had the higher ground, who was in the right, who was in the wrong. She just knew what to do and she acted quickly. Picking back up in verse 20, I told you guys we're going to be reading a lot, so bear with me here. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. So picture this scene, David and 400 men coming down a mountain, ready to wreak havoc. And here comes Abigail to meet them in the middle. And she met them. And David had just said right before this, it's been useless. All of my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for my good. May God deal with David. May God deal with me. Be it ever so severely. If by morning I leave one male alive who belonged to him. So here's, we see a little bit of David's thought process and his emotion as he's uh, nearing Nabal. We get a glimpse inside David's head. As Abigail's coming to meet him, we see, hey, this is what David just said. This is where his mind was. We see that he starts to kind of rationalize his behaviors. Okay, most of us would agree that what David was going to do was not, you know, what Jesus would do. Okay, this wasn't like a pleasant way to respond to Nabal and say, hey, it's okay. You know, I'll just go bum some food off somebody else. David was coming in hot and he was coming to destroy things. But what we see in David's mind here is he starts to try to rationalize those wrong behaviors. Have you ever been there before? where you know you're in the wrong, you know you're sinning, you know you're in some things you shouldn't be doing, and you start to kind of, well, I think I could kind of justify it because this has happened, and this has happened, and this is going wrong for me, so I think it's okay for me this time. If anyone had the right, you know, in our mind to rationalize their behaviors here, it's David. David had been rejected, spit on. This is the guy who knew he was called to be the next king of Israel. He's feeling confused. He's on the run. And we get a glimpse inside his head there. He's saying, you know, this, I, I think this is okay. I deserve to do this. I, I don't deserve to be treated this way. He knows deep down that he's overreacting and doing something that he shouldn't do, but he starts trying to rationalize behaviors and explain to himself why he deserved to act this way. So he's gaining speed. He's ready to dismantle everything Nabal has. But here comes Abigail on a donkey to stop David in his tracks. Picking up in verse 23, it says, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men you sent, my Lord. 
I did not see those men. And now, my Lord David, as surely as the Lord your God lives and you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to you, David, let it be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you, my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled my... My Lord, every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him the ruler of Israel. My Lord, David, you will not have on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged yourself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant Abigail. So Abigail shows up here not to explain who was right and wrong or to try to cut a deal here. She simply falls at the feet of David and pours out a sincere apology for her husband and for the way he had been treated. She asks him to pardon her husband's words and for David to show mercy to all of Nabal's people and everything that he owned. She basically begins this speech, too, by explaining how he had made the best decision of his life not to follow through with the bloodshed. In this sort of like brainwashing tactic, we don't see that in David. We just got to look inside his head. He is coming to destroy everything. And Abigail pretty much comes and says, hey, since you decided not to follow through with this plan, this is going to be a great thing for you when you look back, you know, years from now and God has established you, that you didn't have this bloodshed on your hand. He basically, she basically told David, hey, you know, you're not following through with this. And that's awesome. You're better than that. She had already decided to uh, speak to who David was going to be and not who David was in this moment. But the David that she's talking about is not the David that we see in this passage at all. She starts talking about the dynasty and the legacy that God has for David. She starts pumping him up for what God wants to do with him in his life. She makes him think about the greatness that God has for him in his future to show how silly it would be to have the bloodshed of Nabal and his people on his conscience for the rest of his life because he's better than that. She didn't call him out for overreacting or point to his flaws in this situation. Rather, she points to the true David. She doesn't fixate on what she can criticize and what he was doing wrong. She simply points to the true and real David. The man after God's own heart. The man that God created David to be. Closing out our reading today, the last last few verses we're going to cover. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. 
Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive at daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace, Abigail. I have heard your words and granted your request. So David's mind and heart are changed as Abigail pours these words on him. Abigail goes back home safely and in peace. We just saw an army storming down at these people, and Abigail comes and meets them in the middle and says, David, this is not who you are. You are far greater than this. God has a bigger purpose for you than this. What Abigail did was bold and brave and honestly wasn't really even her job. But she did something amazing that would go on to impact so many lives and change the course of history. She acted quickly and did something incredible. And of all these amazing traits we can learn about Abigail in these, this short set of verses, that she's beautiful and smart and intelligent, and she's graceful, I'd like for us to see Abigail as an encourager above everything else today. Abigail was an encourager. See, in the middle of chaos and a terrible situation, Abigail became an advocate of grace and a powerful encourager to David. Can you think of somebody truly encouraging in your life right now? Think of that person. Someone who affirms the best in you when it's nowhere to be found. Someone who's constantly pouring into you to show, hey, you have a purpose You can do great things. God is on your side. He loves you. A constant encourager in your life. Can you think of that person? That's the kind of encouragement we see from Abigail. See, I can think of some moments in my life, personally, where a little bit of encouragement went a long way for me. In one season of my life, I remember feeling lower than I ever have before. Depressed. Beating myself up. I felt like a loser, and I'd constantly joke with my friends in conversation about what a loser I was, but beneath those jokes and that mask I put on, I felt worthless. I can remember a moment that changed everything for me in that season. I was with a group of about 20 guys from my church, and we sat around and did this exercise that somebody had heard about or seen in a video or something like that. Um, We all sat in a circle and the spotlight would change from person to person. And when the spotlight was on you, everybody else in the circle would take turns affirming something they loved about you, sharing a favorite characteristic about you, a notable quality that you possess. And I just remember going around the room and seeing these people's expressions change from just hard-hearted, taking a mask off and becoming vulnerable and saying, I can't believe you guys really think this about me. It was so encouraging to watch other people. But then it came to my turn. I can remember when I was the focus feeling absolutely overwhelmed at the kind of things people were saying about me. These were things that I hadn't felt about myself in a long time or things that I had never even understood about myself. See, I was so blinded from what the enemy wanted to show me about myself. That, Josh, you're worthless. You're a joke. 
You are a loser. You won't amount to anything and you can't do anything big for God. I remember in this moment feeling like my heart was destroyed and mended together at the same time, which is a feeling I'll never be able to explain to you. But I'll never forget what those kind words of encouragement I heard that day did for me. It changed my perspective. It changed my attitude. It changed my trajectory for where I would go. It changed what I believed about myself. See, they spoke to the best that God had given me, my future, my potential, and shifted my focus from those lies that I had believed for so long. That's what we see Abigail doing to David here. David was in the worst time of his life, broken, vulnerable. And she comes to him and falls at his feet with a word of encouragement. David, this is not you. You're better than this. Look back at David. He was an unstable fugitive on the run. He was losing his patience, losing control of all of his emotions. He was tired of showing mercy and taking the high road when he was being disrespected. Seriously imagine this moment and try to feel what David was feeling. Put yourself in David's shoes here. He's insecure. He's angry. He's fed up. He's tired of being on the run and waiting for what God was going to do. His mind was clouded with rage and confusion. But here comes Abigail with a voice he needed to hear. Encouragement. Evaluation of himself. A better way. What David needed was for someone to just slow him down for a second. Do you ever need that person or that time where you can just calm down, take some deep breaths? Do you have somebody in your life who's ever just stopped you and said, dude, you need to just cool off for a second? That's what David needed. He needed someone to slow him down, look him in the eyes and say, remember who you are, David. Maybe in this moment you've lost sight of who you are, but let me help you refocus. Because your identity is in who God has called you to be. It's not in this brokenness that you're identifying with right now. It's not in being a fugitive on the run from Saul. It's not in your rejection from Nabal. Your identity is in who God created you to be, a man after his own heart. See, David needed an encourager, someone to help him focus on what was really important to him and who God called him to be. So then came Abigail with grace and encouragement. See, what's beautiful is Abigail treated David like the person he was intended to be rather than who he was in that moment. She spoke to his future and who God called him to be. That's a hard thing for us to do. We get so caught up in this life and the brokenness and the pain of everything. We lose sight of who we are. But Abigail didn't treat him like the David we see in this story. She treated him like the David that God had called him to be. Instead of bringing a fight to him or criticizing him or explaining why he was wrong, she came with gifts and encouragement and spoke to who God made him to be. She treated him like he was better than who he really was in this moment. She assured him that those moments of weakness cannot define him because God's definition of him was far more important. She elevated David beyond who he was in this moment and pointed to his future. 
Look at some of the things she says to David in this passage. She says, The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you, my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Then she says, Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, your life will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. In other words, God is going to hold you tightly. He's protecting you. He's got your life in his hands. Then she uses some nostalgic imagery here to kind of boost his his confidence even more. She says, the lives of your enemies God will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. We know another story where David used a sling, right, to hurl some stones at an enemy. So now she's just kind of overdoing it here. You know, kissing up, building that confidence. But she assures David that when God lifts him up to rule and reign, he will not have to deal with this innocent bloodshed on his mind. He will not have to think about that while he's uh, living out his rule as king where God called him to be. David had lost sight of who he was in the eyes of the Father. He lost sight of his potential, his future, the story that he wanted his life to tell when it was all said and done. But Abigail showed up in the midst of a chaotic situation, a very scary situation, brought things to a peaceful halt with grace and encouragement that shifted David's heart, that shifted his focus from where he was, the broken state he was in, to where he was supposed to be. Because if you'd stopped and looked at David in this moment and you knew nothing else about David and you zoomed into this story, you would not believe that this was a man after God's own heart. You'd think he was a temper-headed egomaniac who fought people who didn't give him food and share their snacks with him. But Abigail knew who he was supposed to become and she spoke to those things when he was at his lowest point. What an encourager she was. So let's make things a little bit personal this morning. We like to come in here on Sunday and put our mask on and look our best. But I'd be willing to bet that everybody in this room is dealing with some sort of brokenness this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something. Could you just raise your hand with me if one of the following statements applies to you? I need some encouragement. Or I can think of a time in my life when I desperately needed some encouragement. If one of those two statements applies to you, will you lift your hand up and hold it up for a second until I tell you to put it down? Simon says. Look around you right now. Look to your left. Look to your right. Look around you in this whole room. This is our community. This is our family. Put your hands down. You may see greatness or something incredible in some of these people around you, but they might not see that. The enemy could be blinding their eyes right now, deafening their ears, and speaking to the worst in them. You have no idea what the people around you are thinking about themselves right now. What they're going through, if they're identifying with all of that brokenness, The situation they're in, like David was. See, I believe that God has big plans for everybody in this room right now. Even if you don't see it. See, you might just see your pain or your brokenness 
And much like David, your, your, your life is pushing you to a breaking point, a meltdown. And you're making decisions maybe that you know you shouldn't be making. You might be rationalizing those decisions and saying, I deserve to act like this. Look at my life. My life is in ruins. I'm broken. I'm hurting. Just like David was. See, look around you again. There are broken people in this room around you that need encouragement. See, if we're going to be a community uh, together built on love and discipleship and growth, we need to be encouragers like Abigail. We need to be a group of people who point to what can be accomplished when we surrender to God and be the people God called us to be. Abigail approached a battered, beaten down, worn, collapsing David and pointed to his legacy and who he was going to become. What if you did that to everyone around you this morning? See, that person lashing out to you and bringing the fight to you, they might be surrounded by a world of hurt and problems that you don't feel and you don't see. And a little bit of encouragement might go a long way to them. We can affirm in others things that they might not see or things they've forgotten. And this is a beautiful thing to do. That's what we see from Abigail. Some of us need a voice of Abigail to keep us from destruction, to shift our eyes from who we've been to seeing that we are God's chosen children, people with big plans to do big things for a big God. David needed an encourager, and Abigail did something secretly incredible. She dropped what she was doing. She came and offered grace and encouraged the David that we know did great things. Abigail was an encourager. The band's going to go ahead and make their way up this morning. Every head's bowed and eyes closed this morning. Abigail emerged from the sidelines to do something secretly incredible in this story. She brought grace to a situation that was nearing disaster. This David that we know would go on to do great and mighty things was broken. But she encouraged this broken vessel of God, spoke to his strengths, spoke to what God had planned for him, spoke to the dynasty that would be born from him, spoke to the things that were much better than the direction he was moving in that moment. What if we did what Abigail did and became encouragers? What if you saw the best in people? What if we pointed to people's potential rather than criticizing and belittling them? Rather than pointing to the mess that they're in in that moment. How many people in this room, in this town, are desperately in need of encouragement, of affirmation, of kindness, a kindness that would stop them in their tracks and change their trajectory? just like Abigail's did for David.
What if we were a community full of encouragers like Abigail? What if you assumed that everyone around you was at their lowest low? Could God use you to speak to their future? To speak to who God created them to be? Maybe you need to pray this morning. Ask God, where can I be an encourager? Who is it you want me to go to? Maybe it's somebody in this room. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker. You might not even know that they're broken right now. Maybe you need to ask God for that boldness. For what it takes to go to somebody and encourage them. To the believers here this morning, Look, we can find encouragement in scriptures as well. Remember, when you feel worthless, when you feel hopeless, when the enemy tells you that you will not measure up, the Bible says that you are a chosen son and daughter. And that because of Christ's finished work on the cross, you're seen as righteous and perfect in the Father's eyes. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ did for you. See, the lowest opinion you have of yourself, you at your worst possible moment, it is nothing compared to the opinion that God has of you. Because in you, he saw somebody worth dying for. Maybe you don't know what that means. This story of Jesus coming to die for the sins of mankind. We see a glimpse of this in the story of Abigail. Just like Nabal had rejected David's goodness, rejected his generosity and his love and his kindness, Mankind has since the beginning rebelled against God, refused his goodness, said, I'm choosing my way. My way is better. Nabal reminds me a lot of us rejecting that goodness, rejecting those gifts, living in rebellion and sin. But what we saw in the story, as wrath was coming to Baal's way, we saw Abigail step up. She became an advocate for Nabal. She pointed to grace. In the same way as sinners, we deserve hell. We don't deserve God's goodness. But just like Abigail, Jesus stepped up and became our advocate. Stepped in to offer us grace in this chaotic situation we're in. 
See, the Bible says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means at your greatest greatness, at your best moments, your works are not good enough to coexist with a holy God. A God who is infinitely holy, infinitely pure. We cannot measure up in ourselves. We cannot be good enough on our own. But God didn't leave us that way. See, in the Bible, we see the greatest love story ever told. We see a rescue mission. God didn't just leave us in that hopeless state. See, God sent his son. He he rolled up his sleeves and got messy with us. Sent his son to this earth to live a perfect life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserved. And because of Christ's finished work on the cross, we can be declared righteous. We are justified by Christ's work. Maybe you've never accepted that gift of, of free salvation that Jesus offers us. You can do that this morning. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life. You can call out to God with a a simple prayer, something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. Because of my sins, I deserve hell. But I believe you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for my sins. I'm turning from my sins and I'm turning to you to be the Lord of my life, Jesus. If you prayed something like that this morning, I'm not going to call you out. All I'd like for you to do is take that connection card from your bulletin this morning. Right on the bottom of that, I chose Jesus. We want to celebrate that with you. We want to know you made that decision. We want to help you grow. Right on that connection card, I chose Jesus this morning.